Welcome to the Fallon Forum, where we bring you independent voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. Uh, this is Ed Fallon. I'm your host, and we're coming to you from the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. Yep, that's Des Moines, Iowa. Hey, if you value what we do, we need your support. Visit the donations page on the Fallon Forum website, or if you run a small business or nonprofit, consider becoming a sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Gateway also has excellent catering and floral services. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. And thanks also to Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines' East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry. And speaking of culture, thanks to the Des Moines Irish Session for the catchy new bumper music. We've got a vibrant Celtic music scene here in the heartland. In terms of our program this week, what do we got lined up for you? Well, Dr. Charles Goldman's with me, and we'll tap his professional wisdom on the subject of insulin and what the price of that drug has to say about America's for-profit healthcare system. We'll also talk about, again, we gotta do it, there's more happening, about robots and artificial intelligence. Uh, one good thing, a recent AI study gives us an even better look at what climate change might be sending our way. And I guess that's good news. And then there's- Well, I, it's pretty clear it's not gonna be good news it's sending our well, way. Yeah, well, but, yeah. but the, the fact that they could do it was good news. Mm -hmm. But there's plenty of bad news on the AI front with perhaps a silver lining. And for our farm and food conversation, Kathy Burns and I will be answering people's February garden questions. But first, Charles, welcome to the program. How's it going, Ed? Who knew that a balloon could become so political? I mean, well, I guess these days we politicize everything. A virus, racism, Tom Brady. <laughs> it all gets politicized, so why not a balloon, eh? Well, I mean, I, I thought that there were two stories this week whose stupidity is unrivaled. <laughs> Uh, the balloon was obviously one of them. Mm -hmm. And the other, of course, was the anti-socialism resolution from the Republican-controlled House. Right. Um, but starting with the balloon. Okay. <laughs> Start with the balloon. So, you know, my, my first thought about this was um, the balloon's up at about six miles up. It was a, five miles up. It was 60,000 six, yeah, I'm sorry. It was even more than that. It was 12 miles up. Yeah, 60,000 right. feet. So at that height, it's not really that much different than having a satellite do exactly the same thing. I mean, go to Google Earth and you can see what you can see from the the heavens here. Yes. Um, so there you go, asking religious again. Right. So what? How is this different than the same satellites? And, of course, then what comes out is this wasn't even the first time that happened. It's, yeah, but now some on the uh, political right who are, again, politicizing this are saying that those uh, three alleged balloons that passed over the U.S. during Trump's administration never actually happened. You know, <laughs> well, and they're basing down on what? Uh, Pompey saying, no, they didn't happen. <laughs> because that guy never has lied. Right. So, <laughs> so first of all, um, you know, so far it looked like it only tracked over red states. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure what the reason for that is. Um, you know, and the military was aware of its presence before it entered our airspace. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, people, it wasn't going to run into a plane at 60,000 feet. No, you're feet. at 30,000 max <laughs> if you're in a plane, so, yeah. You, another bit of you, you, you also weren't going to hit it with your, with your, with your, with your, with your shotgun. <laughs> that was That's my favorite part gonna... of the story. Far and away, my favorite part of the story was that, you know, in various places around the country, uh, sheriffs and other law enforcement had to go out on usually Twitter or Truth Social um, and <laughs> tell people that you weren't going to be able to hit something at 60,000 feet with your rifle. I, I understand that Matt Damon did it in Shooter, but nevertheless, it's not going to happen. And it was just monumentally it was just unbelievable. You think you'd be able to get the range of a, of a, of a weapon down in your... If, you know, before you buy it, you think you'd want to know that, whether, I, you, whether I, you're hunting deer or balloons. I, I don't know what to say. I mean, yeah. you know, I think so even, even the sharpshooter, the most souped-up sharpshooter weaponry would so not they, be able to hit okay, it at 60,000 feet. There's, there's several things about this that are fascinating. One is 
that you've got the Chinese saying, no, that was only a weather satellite. And you get the Pentagon <laughs> saying, like the world's no, heaviest that was, weather satellite. That, no, that was a surveillance satellite. And yeah. I, I mean, who are you going to believe? Well, first I mean, of all, they've been, they've been doing this in other places, not just the, in the United States. They've been flowing these things over countries down Latin, you know, in South America. Uh, and other, actually, on all five continents, they've been doing this. And so they, they're verifiably surveillance balloons. They are clearly surveillance balloons, right? And um, you know, the argument against not shooting it down initially was, well, we, we're getting information about what are the capabilities. Uh, a lot of what you know, these things can be jammed, uh, so they're not really you know able to send off whatever information they're, you know. That well, and the other getting. argument about, about the debris falling on someone and, and, and well, that was the reason they didn't want to shoot it over, they shoot it down over any kind of sure. That's land a good mass, reason. Although it was over the red state, so it probably been okay. <laughs> Charles, <laughs> knock it out with the red state stuff. <laughs> no, I mean this information was readily available in another way, and sure. it, it was just another example of you know the same people who are saying they already know that it should have been shot down are getting their top secret briefing on this this week, right? So couldn't they have waited to find out why it wasn't shot down? But no, I mean, they couldn't miss an opportunity because, of course, as soon as it's this Biden's came... It's Biden's fault. Well, even right. Though, as even soon though as the it, Pentagon exactly. was the one saying, don't right. do it. As soon as, as soon as that kind of came out in the news, immediately the mantra on the right was, under Trump, this would have never happened. And it happened three times. Well, that's... In, yeah, exactly. And... and I, I would agree with you that the veracity of, of Mike Pompeo is somewhat in yeah. question here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and of course, just over and over, just like you know, the mainstream media, how many more times were they going to talk about this thing? Well, here we are talking about it. <laughs> well, I understand. I understand. <laughs> well, so, but but it, 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 is, it is fascinating and it is disturbing, too, because, you know, China has said, you should not have shot down our balloon. We're going to respond. Well, that they were well, just—it's all grandstanding. I mean, well, they're I don't know. Too. They, they've said they're going to respond. They will. I don't know what that means. I, I have no idea what that means, but it's probably not good because it, it seems like global tensions right now are just frayed, and you know, the U.S. and Russia, Russia and everyone else, mm-hmm. uh, U.S. and China, I mean, India and Pakistan—that's never gone well. You know, all all these nuclear powers who have. Uh, you were just kind of pushing the pushing the uh, the envelope, uh, uh, willing to discuss um, you know high levels of uh, of a military exchange, and I I don't know where that leads, but it, it doesn't sound very promising. Well, you know, one of the things that came up was, for instance, that you know people were very upset because this this the weather balloon um, or the alien ship, whatever it was, uh, you know, was floating over Montana. Right, where a lot of the nuclear arsenal is based, okay? I've been up in Montana. All you need to do is drive around, and you can figure out where these silos are. It's not like they're hidden, right? I mean, if you're driving through ranch land, and suddenly you see a barbed wire top fence, right, and a little elevator. It's not a buffalo buffalo paddock? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, I literally camped up the road from one of these, from one of these MERV sites. It's not that hard. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm sure on Google Earth you could probably see them, you know. So, but or if, they, if on Google Earth they have to be hidden, just look for the places where there's a gap, yeah. you know, where right. everything is is being displayed, but suddenly there's this gap. Okay, well, that must be a missile silo. I mean, it's ludicrous. I mean, that's why the, the stupidity of this story only only exceeded by the stupidity of the of the resolution against socialism. Okay, but, <laughs> but do you do you do you uh, do you believe the Chinese when they say it's a weather satellite? No. Okay. So what? What? what and, and so okay. It wasn't a weather. All they have to do is watch. If they want to know the weather here, they just have to watch sure, TV. Of course. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, sometimes it's accurate. But but so they um the Chinese don't need a balloon to serve to, to conduct spy activities over the U.S. No, they, they can, can use satellites. So what's which the they purpose? Do. What's the purpose of this? You know, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know that anybody's absolutely sure. Is it just to kind of say, hey, we can do this and see what happens? Probably, yeah. you know, and they're, they're controllable up to a degree, evidently. And then at some point, they're just kind of free-floating. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure. I don't think anybody's absolutely clear. I mean, some people think it was trying to scuttle this, you know, getting together with Blinken. But, you know, they could have just said, we're canceling. I didn't really have to have the balloon. But for some reason, they've been doing this. Yeah, well, Blinken In many to, places. It's that, not just that, happening in the United that States. That meeting needs to happen now more than ever. Yes. For, for, for diplomatic sake. Well, you know, but once Diplomacy again, sake, it, it displays the confusing politics here because, you know, you've got people 
on particularly the right who are real China hawks, you know, and so they're they're talking about you know the, the weakness you know of the Biden administration just once again manifest you know it's just, just an extension of what happened in Afghanistan. The, Everything the, everything's an extension of the Afghanistan exit. <laughs> yeah. But I, I I you know it's just normally stories that really, I mean we grew up in the fifties with nuclear weapons everywhere. I didn't grow up till the seventies. Okay, well. <laughs> You know, I grew up in the 50s and early 60s. I, I, I really don't think it's worth worrying that much about a balloon, hmm. okay? I mean, could the balloon have been carrying a nuclear weapon there and they were going to drop it? I guess, but what would be the advantage of that? Yeah. You know, I mean, it wasn't like it penetrated, like it wasn't unknown. They knew it over the Pacific that it was coming this way. Yeah. So it wasn't like they were well, and, and against some of the some of the right-wing radio... Uh, jocks are saying that oh they didn't discover it till some farmer in Montana said hey what's that up there no yeah so many lies that is not true no it, 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 they knew that it was floating towards us from well out in fact one, you know the funny thing is that they came and keep their story straight because some people on the right are saying they should have shot it down over the Pacific right well obviously then they must have known about it before it entered sure. American airspace. I mean, I guess you could argue, well, maybe they're just trying to lull us to sleep. It's, you know, okay, it's a surveillance thing, and one day they'll send a, a bunch of balloons over with nuclear weapons in them. I think if you see 10 or 15 balloons in formation coming toward the United States, it's probably not a weather balloon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just but don't. The, the, the Japanese send loads of balloons over the U.S. during World War II to try to drop conventional weapons on U.S. cities. And, oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, and they failed. It didn't, it didn't work. <laughs> but that doesn't mean in modern with modern technology it might work. I guess. Anyway, so you, I can see you are chomping at the bit to move on from balloons to socialism. Right. So socialism. Okay. Right. So once you're again, a big fan, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, <laughs> what what is the problem with socialism? First of all, well, I, 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 okay. I don't even think that these, this resolution the House passed and and the cowardice of a hundred something Democrats went along with even understands what socialism is, okay? Essentially, what the resolution says is we'll never have socialism in the United States, and um, it, that's according to, you know, uh, our history and what the Constitution says, and that it violates the first principles because it's seizure of private property and everything else. Well, first of all, most socialist societies... How, how, wait, wait, socialism is the seizure of private property? Well, okay, socialism so then, implies that, that so then, certain uh, industry... Is a commons, and therefore okay. is is yes. We don't. So have, I, I, you don't have private. Did, did anybody offer an amendment to that re, that resolution uh, challenging eminent domain being used for uh, taking to take farmland? Well, they, they that would have been way too sophisticated. Yeah. No, the argument was they wanted it, basically it was just a ploy, right? Because they want to be able to say, you know, they're going to say that Democrats are socialists anyway, right? Right. So sure. what they want to be able to say is, well, Democrats are socialists because, look, they voted against this resolution. It's, you know, like the fine print on these commercials. So the point, to, to my mind, to the Democrats was, why go along with that? They're going to say it anyway, right? You're a Democrat, you're a socialist. And, and you know, the whole point is, is that really Norway and Sweden are on their way to autocratic, dictatorial societies. Really, there's never been a, quote, democracy that has not become autocratic, uh, like Hungary, right? <laughs> Brazil. Uh, Brazil. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, this it's ludicrous. First of all, it's not a political system. Yeah. It's an economic system, you know? And the thing I hate the most about this is who are the two presidents that they hate the most on the right? Both in the 20th century, I'll give you a hint. Uh, well, Biden and no, Obama. He, no, well, that's in the 21st century. <laughs> Obama and Roosevelt. Roosevelt, number one, and Johnson, number oh, two, Johnson. right? Okay, sure. Because they had widespread social, inter you know, governmental intervention into yeah. things. So New Deal, Medicaid, Medicaid. Exactly. So to me, this looks like it may be the, an, an opening foray against, uh, against Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and they may be setting the table for... Well, you know what? We really need to take a harder look at these basically socialist programs and get rid of them or scale them back or fine-tune them in ways that they aren't being, quote, abused by the public. And what, what's <laughs> wrong with the socialist, supposed socialist program that makes it so that your health insurance would be portable, not tied to certain industry, you know, not, not right. tied to your employment, which would allow you to actually have more freedom. They're all about freedom, right? You want freedom to be able to, you know, go find a job 
that you like or to do start a business that you like, take away the, the burden of health insurance, right? And yeah. put it on somebody else. That would be freedom-inducing. And you really want to have no pension system in this country, right? What are you going to do? How do you get, what are you going to do when you get old? Yeah. What are you going to do when you can't work? Yeah, you'll take crappy work at sub-minimum wage because well, you'll be destitute. That, that's what prisons are for, Charles. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, sometimes... To borrow a line from uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. And, and, you know, the worst part of it, the worst part of it is, I'm so sick of hearing about the New Deal, right? Capitalism almost tanked the entire world, right? You know, the cr kind of crony capitalism we have now almost tanked the entire world. And if it weren't for FDR, this country could have easily become a fascist country. Easily. Much more so even than now. And, you know, for myself, I, I, I am not a socialist. Uh, I, I, I believe that the uh, claim to being a capitalist country is flawed. It's not capitalism. It's, uh, it's, a, it's well, to borrow a Mitt Romney expression, it's crony capitalism. We have a, a brand is. of capitalism that is very suitable to lots of government handouts, taxpayer giveaways to the rich, to special interests. Uh, and you know, and then we uh, we we you know we, we don't offer the same opportunity to a lot of people who would actually benefit from it, but don't have the political and financial connections to power that those rich industries and rich individuals have. Well, we'll see so. the same thing. We talk about insulin, how crony capitalism, it, all the cost of crony capitalism there is borne by the taxpayers, is borne by the commons, while certain actors in this walk away with all the profits okay. and the riches. Well, anyway, balloons and socialism. I didn't know we could connect those in one conversation, but uh, I still think They're only connected by stupidity. <laughs> well, this balloon thing warrants further uh, observation, folks. It's uh, kind of incredible. Hey, we've got to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll discuss insulin and what the price of that drug has to say about the for-profit American health care system. Uh, back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. 99 Red Balloon Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. At a time when big corporations control most of the media, the niche that we provide here is more important than ever, so please support what we're doing, folks. Uh, go to the Fallon Forum website, donate, even better, become a monthly sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. If you live in Iowa, wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. And thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, Charles, we're back here, and insulin, a, a topic I know absolutely nothing about. I have to say that right up front, but you, as a doctor, presumably know more than everybody. Well, <laughs> yeah, the reason I wanted to bring this up, I, I, I'm not an endocrinologist, but the, the story of this is pretty simple, Medi medicine 
and then a, a real view of what we just were talking about, which is crony capitalism and how it harms everybody. Okay. And this is, of course, in um, in light of the recent introduction in the House by one of their you know doctrinaire Republicans of a two-page bill to basically revoke everything in the Inflation Reduction Act, which includes, of course, the ability to negotiate on certain very highly used medications, and insulin's one of them. So, you know, just a brief history and just some facts so that we can really, you know, be talking about what's going on. So insulin was, was uh, isolated for use as a, as a medicinal in, 19, in the early 1920s by Banting and Best, who got the Nobel Prize for it. Mm. They sold the rights to it, which at that time was an extract. It was a pancreatic extract, um, in 1923 to Eli Lilly for $1. What? Right. Really? Yeah. <laughs> now, it didn't take long for um, the pharmaceutical companies who had control of it to get accused of price fixing in by early 1941. Um, they never miss a beat. They never miss a beat. And then it just continues. So so now, what, what does this mean? And, and understand that those commercials about how controlling prices here in the United States of certain items will reduce innovation – how much innovation is involved by something they, they've already had since 1923? hundred years now. Right. Now, it's made differently. It's a biologic made with recombinant DNA and bacteria. But nevertheless, that technology is also not new. Hmm. And during the time when it was made by regular insulin was made by recombinant DNA methods, the, those 20 years from 96 till 2016, the price of a vial of, a vial of insulin went up from $20 to $250. Uh, that cannot be accounted for by inflation, nor by the need for technological or industrial advancements. Okay, it could be accounted for. By it's accounted greed. for by because there's only three companies involved, and, and they're price fixing, even yeah. though they they somehow, you know, gotten away with it. Um, well, how, how strong are the are the other are the, are the regulations against price fixing? Well, it depends on which administration is involved, obviously, but and the long acting versions are similarly have gone up almost in lockstep. What do you mean by long-acting version? Well, because insulin, the regular insulin is a short-acting version. It's like a booster. And most people use a combination of some long-acting agent, which okay. kind of gives you a steady state level of insulin. And then you have to boost depending on whether you go to the buffet or not. You know, so... <laughs> whether you take the extra piece of pie. Well, that or, or any, yeah. any piece of pie. Exactly. Yeah. So what's, what's the problem with it being $250 a vial? Well, I mean, obviously, there's lots of problems with it. And understand that depending on your requirement, you may be using many, many vials a week. Really? Right. So you could be spending as much as a thousand bucks a week. Well, if you happen to pay for it out of pocket, correct. Right. So the 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 cost of the cost related non adherence, that is people who are either skimping on their insulin or just not do you know, using it at all. If you're in the VA system, it's less than ten percent. If you're in the private pay system, about eighteen percent of people are not fulfilling their entire scripts of insulin. If you're getting Medicare, a group which obviously diabetes rates, diabetes 2 rates are going to be high, sure. 25% of patients and are how, not able to get their and, full and insulin. Is that rates. because they're still a deductible and it, they still have to pay part that's of the correct. Part of right. the and, and That's correct. Yeah. Exactly. And so um, what do people do? Well, they could try to stretch out their supply by using less. Some people go to Canada to procure it. Same drug, by the way, in Canada. Ma to cure it. Often, well, to procure it. Or to procure it. Thank right. you. Okay. And um, same drug made often by the same three companies, but somehow it's much cheaper in Canada, even with the exchange rate. And then, un interestingly, on Craigslist, insulin is the number one drug that is uh, traded in an underground market. Really? Okay. Really? Right. So what's the actual cost of this to us, you know, the both? Diabetics and non-diabetics. Because a, the a, commons. A, a big chunk of it is picked up by public health programs, right? Well, that's partly what happens. Yeah, there are subsidies for it, but the bigger cost is that people who don't get their insulin have progressive renal disease and other things that happen to them, which means that they come into the hospital sicker, either from direct complications with diabetes or the long-term chronic complications of diabetes. So it, it drives up costs, particularly in the Medicare group, which has the lowest compliance with the scripts they're given. So why is this going on? 92% of the market is controlled by three companies, Lilly, Sanofi, and Novo Nordisk. Um, if you look at a, a, a plot of their pricing, 
the three different companies, they have literally gone up in lockstep over the last 20 years. Oh, they're cooperating. There's no, right. <laughs> They've never been proven. Right. The FTC tried to prove they were price fixing, and there's another investigation going on. But, um, yes, now, you know, when you're in a market for other drugs, the main thing that drives down the price of a drug is generics. Generics, yep. Right. But it takes <clears throat> about five to seven generic options to really drive the price of a drug down significantly. If you have seven generic options, it drives the price of the drug down about 75%. Right now, there's essentially why, why would it take, no. Why would, why would it take multiple uh, generic options? One wouldn't, I would think one would have an impact. Two, two generic options drives it down about 48%. Why, not, why, why doesn't one have an, an impact of uh, comparable uh, benefit? Because they just ignore it. And, and because this is where we get into the other thing. The provision of pharmaceuticals in the United States has become vertically integrated. And there is entities known as pharmacy benefit managers. You may know them as Express Scripts, OptumRx, which is owned by uh, United Healthcare. CVS Health, uh, mm. which I think is Caremark, is their PBM. Um, and these PBMs aggregate all of these scripts. They, you know, and, and they then have deals with the pharmaceutical supplier, they have deals with the insurer, and then they have deals with the pharmacies. And so, and, and these, these deals are completely opaque because there's rebates going back and forth between all these entities, right? And the rebates are worth more the more expensive the drug is. So the more expensive the drug is than insulin is to use these newer, you know, engineered, you know, forms of insulin that have, you know, maybe better pharmacokinetics, but clinically probably don't make that much difference for most patients. And of course, those drugs are back on patent, mm. right? So they take insulin, which by recombinant DNA techniques is no longer on patent. They make some changes to change the pharmacokinetics, and then they can repatent it and protect the patent. So the generics can't even get in there. Uh, right? That sounds um, sleazy. Right. And the PBMs, no one understands what, where's, how is this money going back and forth? Because they are literally so inside what, of the insurance companies at this point. Some of this stuff sounds really blatant. It is blatant. Where, where is the FDA? Well, the FDA and the FTC are the two main actors here. So the FDA did something which is helpful, but it only happened relatively recently, which is that the, these newer forms of insulin are now biologics. And the bio, to be able to, to market a generic in a biologic as opposed to a chemical like the pills, you know, tablets and things we take for most things, is much more difficult. And so that's helped to keep out competitors. The other thing is, is they finally allowed that if you could show that the generic was essentially similar to the patent version, or what was the patent version, then you can piggyback on the approval of the patented version and have to do a lot less to get your generic or your what's called a biosimilar on the market. So they have the FDA has done what they can to make it easier to compete. The FTC is involved with a, they've subpoenaed the big six PBMs, uh, pharmacy benefit managers, and they are absolutely looking at, they want, they want access to what are the deals that are going back and forth, because they're clearly driving this process. Because especially if your PBM is inside your health insurer, then the health insurer has an a incentive to create rebates. And the other thing they were doing was that they were doing clawbacks from the independent pharmacies to, to drive the business to CVS and Walgreens mm. and, you know, the big pharmacy chains. So it, this is a perfect example of the, it's nonsense to call this market a free market. It's nonsense right. to call it capitalism at all. It's, it, it's simply using, it's just the opposite. It's using the tools of government, you know, to some degree, and also obfuscation, to assure themselves that they're going to make a huge profit. So are there any, uh, any, uh, any leaders within the federal government who are proposing any kind of uh, redress for the problem? Well, the legislation that's been, you know, uh, been proposed, and it generally comes from only one side, and, Gee, which side? And we don't need to guess which one. Um, <laughs> is 
calls for one, increased transparency in terms of these, whatever these PBMs are doing. I don't think anybody even understands what they're doing at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, to set copay caps, mm-hmm. uh, which of course, you know, the the conservatives will say, well, that's against what we believe in here in the United States because we believe in the market should set prices. Well, it would be great if the market was actually acting with the yeah. invisible the, hand the, mar- the market. The market only works when you've got checks and balances. Correct. And it's, it's like, I, I like to compare it to a football game, Charles. You know, if you, if you uh, didn't have a rule preventing face masking or... You know, if you could fudge a little bit on what a ten yard, what ten yards was for a first down, if you kind of took away all those specifications, it wouldn't be much of a game anymore. You know, the the, the best would not be able to compete. And similarly, in a, in a in a true free market, you got to have parameters, rules, guidelines, uh, provisions that prevent the formation of monopolies. Uh, come on, it's just some simple things like that. Well, but, but it's not simply just that they're monopolies. It's it's simply that. Because they're beyond monopolies, they're vertically integrated in, in multiple aspects of provision of health care, that it's very hard to crack that because at every level. Mm-hmm. See, because in healthcare they you go after you go after the easy, the, the low hanging fruit. So you go after the subscribers. Well, your copay is gonna go up. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean you go after the providers of care and make them, they they make the hospitals and the physicians the you know villains here but the hospitals have to buy equipment that's provided to them at a monopoly of price that includes pharmaceuticals which is probably their biggest bill so they're the victims of the monopoly elsewhere so you asked them what they're trying to do legislatively okay you asked about assistance programs so essentially what you're asking the public to do through assistance programs is pay money to keep the prices exactly where they are, so but just make it so people can afford it. Yeah, that right? do, that doesn't do anything to, to limit the right. greed of these corporations. Right, and so then you have uh, you know uh, efforts to promote generic competition. We already talked about that, mm-hmm. which is the FDA is doing what it can. You can't just simply generics are not always similar, and you have to prove they're similar. Before, before I, w- I want to get to one question that's sure. on my mind: Have we seen a drastic increase in the use of insulin? I mean, to justify two hundred fifty dollars. No, 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 no. We, we've no, 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 not that. We, we've seen a drastic increase in diabetes. Well, as obesity goes up, diabetes goes up with it. Sure, and so we've probably seen an increase in insulin. You would have to say the use. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see any reason why it'd be going down because we, we're not a healthier society. Right. Would there be any any prospect for uh, better regulating the market, coupling that with with policies, provisions, strategies for reducing? the rise in obesity and the accompanying rise in diabetes? I mean, it's a great question. I understand what you're getting at. But, <laughs> yes. But, yeah. But, yes. It, I understand what you're getting at is that we call this a healthcare system, but really it's a sickness system because we downplay the public health elements of it. But, you know, that would be great for people who are young now if we could keep them from becoming diabetics. Starting with children. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. I mean, in many ways, your weight trajectory is set probably somewhere in your late teens or early 20s. Yeah, so and if, if you, you, if you go you, into those er- those times obese and come out of them yeah, obese, you, you're probably you going to be obese. Up, if you grew up eating eating lots of junk food and washing it down with uh, Mountain Dew or Coke or Pepsi or something, yeah, you're on the track for obesity, diabetes, and insulin use. That's correct. That's correct. And so, but, you know, the other thing is there are there, there is one entity uh, called uh, Savika, which is trying to do a public insulin. You know, where they're, they're trying to make it as affordable as possible. But even they're still at $30 a vial, which is amazing compared to its price of $20 a vial mm. over almost three years ago. But, you know, that's still going to be too much for some people, depending on how much they need. And, mm. and this is a real-world example of not just the abstract nature of corporatism, but the real world of corporatism. Yeah. Hey, folks, uh, Dr. Charles Goldman with me here in the studio. I'm Ed Fallon. Uh, your host. We've got to take a short break, and when we come back, Charles and I are going to uh, talk again about robots. Uh, apparently, AI has weighed in on climate change, and uh, it was a well, it wasn't a good it wasn't a good uh, conclusion. But the fact that they were able to do that was helpful. So, thank you, robots. We will also discuss how politicians are maybe some of them starting to wake up to the existential threats posed by AI. Maybe we'll even see a silver lining in that cloud. Uh, Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. 
With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. You know, you can support this alternative to the shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor or a business or nonprofit sponsor. Check out the Fallon Forum website for details. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Architecture by Synthesis, owner Mark Lipsham says that no matter how you plan or renovate your project, please use the most energy efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest lasting materials available. That's Architecture by Synthesis. All right, so robots, I, you know, we seem to be stuck on talking about robots and, and AI for a while here, but uh, there's more happening. Uh, Charles, there was a, um, an AI-based study uh, done by a group of scientists from, I think, Colorado and, uh, and California, and they used artificial intelligence to confirm that the global temperature was almost certain to rise to two point, by 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit, of warming over the over the next um, next uh, next next decade, and also probably going to rise by 3.6 degrees around mid-century. Uh, that's consistent with what we've been warned by scientists. But these uh, these this study, uh, which was fed, they, 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 apparently the AI system was fed all this data, all this information, and cranked out what is considered to be a pretty reliable. Uh, Forecast. And what are the assumptions in terms of mitigation? Although, you know, I don't think it's going to make a difference. The, the robots didn't, didn't offer any help with that. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Well, but, but, the model, but, but the model has to take that into account, I guess. Uh, I, don't, I, didn't, I don't remember seeing that in the stories I okay. read about it, but okay. uh, that's a good question. But, um, yeah, so anyway, uh, yeah, that's uh, – so thank you, robots. But, um, you know, I mean, I'm still coming on – I come down on the side of I do not trust AI. And the more I see, the more I hear, the more I learn, the more – concerned I get about where we're going with this. Did they include the possibility that aliens will come down and no. reveal themselves to help us? No, but somebody should ask, ask, ask the, uh, the chat, uh, chat bot that, that question. Yeah. Heck, you can, answer, you can ask all kinds of questions. Um. Well, I, I don't think that that's really surprising because we, we already know that with the continued increase in population on the Earth that it's going to be very hard to mitigate to reversal of of the warming. And now it probably looks like we're pretty much doomed to, it's going to exceed whatever the set point may be. Well, 2 degrees centigrade or 3.6 yeah. Fahrenheit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know whether this is that big of a story, but no. but the fact that, uh, that, uh, that, Artificial intelligence, robots. That's what's called robots. Well, they're not really robots. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, it's just it's just an amped up program on a computer. Robots you know? is a fun name, though. Okay, you can call them robots. And some of them, when the one, especially the ones that move around your house, the, the little Roomba thing, you know, the Alexa, the, right? Your dishwasher. Those are kind of robots. Mm -hmm. right, yeah. Anyway, but um, well, you know, it's really interesting. They were talking about the anniversary of some of the changes they made to reduce ozone depletion. You know, back in the 80s. Right. It's really the last model for any sort of international... And it helped. Uh, cooper and not, and it, yeah. it very much helped. Yeah. I mean, it, it absolutely reversed the destruction of the ozone layer. And, um, you know, we still have increases in skin cancers related to that, but much less than we would have had. Yeah. You know, and it didn't disrupt the world 
and society and industry all that much to have to get rid of. It was you know, bad for a couple of businesses, I'm sure. I'm sure, but yeah. but that, you know, yeah, well, yeah. so let's keep making buggy whips as though we still had horse-drawn carriages. I or, mean, things move phones. on, <laughs> right? I mean, things yeah, got to move on. Yeah. This is the way it is. Industries are going to come and go. Yeah, and someday talk show hosts will be replaced by by chatbot. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it'll be chatbot. Yeah. So actually, maybe one of us is a robot right now, huh? <laughs> maybe, <No>. huh? <laughs> All right. Okay, so more so, bad news. Well, yeah, another piece of bad news on AI is that. Uh, is that a third of uh, this research group, it was um, like a 327 researchers who had been published, uh, you know, scholarly publications on AI, one third of them uh, agreed that AI decisions could cause a catastrophe as bad as an all-out nuclear war in this century. That's deeply disturbing. Okay. Did they really have to get a bunch of scientists together for that? There was already a movie, like, back in the 80s about that. <laughs> right, the day after, right, or something like that? Uh, no, that was that was a depiction of what it'd be like yeah. if there were new, No, it was it was war games. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, even even Elon Musk. Okay, we, we, mm-hmm. we've, we've branded Elon Musk the evil genius, you know. The evil genius himself has said he fears that, that AI could outsmart humans and endanger us, calling AI, quote, the biggest threat to civilization. How smart would AI have to be to outsmart the guys who were <laughs> shooting, <Twitter? laughs> shooting at the satellite? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> shooting at the, at the balloon. Oh, they, okay. It wouldn't take much. You could probably do it with a Commodore 64. Right. Um, but, but this is the kind, this is what we talked about last time. I mean, this is the kind of thing, it's, it's the Terminator syndrome, which is it has to lead to that it's going to be dangerous to us. The problem for AI, and we kind of you know talked to about it a little bit, is the entrainment set of data is the problem because I know what you want to talk about next. Well, well, the way the way AI works is it's presented with a database that is generally gleaned from the internet, human experience, right? right, right. And it, it 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 feeds all this data into the AI you know programs, and then it allows the AI to try to pick and choose from these various seemingly disparate pieces of information and aggregate them in a way that perhaps the human brain wouldn't have been able to do, even though AI is, is kind of a souped-up version of the human brain, of, uh, you know, of neural synapse. Uh, operative where there is souped up. Well, this is souped up yeah. because, yeah, I mean, they're going to be a lot quicker than we are. Um, but it, it, I, I understand the concerns. And... The main problem, yes, what you're going to talk about in terms of it, it is it is perpetuating biases and maliciousness is because, of course, the entrainment programming, the entrainment database has all of that in it. Mm-hmm. That's what's on the Internet. And just like human, the human brain, AI doesn't have the capability yet to figure out what's true or what's false. So I agree. That's potentially dangerous. So, um, I mean, what more and more... Uh Intelligent lawmakers are suggesting is we need regulation. Uh, we talked about um, we talked about one congressman a couple weeks ago who's been and he's a, he guy, he's a guy who writes code. He's very concerned about AI. He's proposing legislation. I came across uh, just this week uh, an Australian member of Parliament, Julian Hill, who uh, he asked uh, Chat GPT various questions, and one of the responses was quote. AI could perpetuate existing biases and discrimination and could be used for malicious purposes, such as cyber attacks and disinformation campaigns. That's AI basically incriminating itself. And yeah. so he's proposing, you know, you, we, need, we need to regulate this. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crazy market with nothing, with nothing stopping it. I mean, you know, and the way, to me, I mean, I've seen other other comments made about, you know, why why not start treating this the way we've treated nuclear weapons, chemical weapons? Um, and we haven't done a great job with that, but we have we've had we've had some international accords, some efforts to try to negotiate uh, limitations. I mean, we we have dropped the nuclear arsenal from what fifty thousand weapons to under thirteen thousand. Still very scary. But the fact that we've actually taken the initiative to negotiate some some agreements on what the limits are is a, probably a good starting point for what we should be doing with AI. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 that sounds good, but this is this is a wide open field where the technology is widely available. There's a lot of smart people out there, and 
the goal for a lot of AI work is would be beneficial to humanity, including perhaps finding a legitimate solution to mitigate the inevitable warming of the earth. Um, so it, it's just hard to know where to go with that. And, and it's worse than you're actually you know, presenting here. One of the real fears about AI is that it can probably within a decade or less be used to basically override any encryption protocol now on that's used to protect the internet. So it would not be very difficult to imagine a future in which you could basically incapacitate all of humanity. Because at this point, so much of our information and our processes are dependent on the internet and the encryption protocols we use now, that there would essentially be no privacy and there would be no, that you could easily control the internet. So my mom has the right idea by saving all of her photo albums. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is probably an, there is probably something to say for analog storage. All right, but it is you know I I understand what you're saying. It's coming, and and I I agree that there needs to be some regulation. I just don't know that with the speed at which is, this is happening. I mean, think about how technology has changed from the 1990s to now. Think about when you had to lift weights to be able to take your cell phone around, right? Because, the, you know, just the battery itself was 20 pounds. And now you carry a computer that has more capability on your hip than the computers they put in the lunar lander that got to the moon. Okay, yeah. I mean, we're way beyond the, you know, the fact that the change in technology is exponential. I would say I'd be more interested in seeing it harnessed toward the good. Okay. So another question that comes up in all this is, what about employment? What about people's jobs? I mean, you said, you said early in this program, well, some things just change over time, and we need to move on. Uh, pay phones, uh, what else do we reference? Uh, well, okay, so yeah, I mean, I, we're, I know this is something that we're, we're hoping to get into greater detail about. What is work going to look like going sure. into the future? Yeah. You know, and, and how much will the power of artificial intelligence allow for the replacement of humans doing jobs that already don't require a lot of their brain power? You know, the vast majority of work... Like being a talk show host? Well, I, I would say that's more brain power than it requires for many things. But most, <laughs> of, what, most of what people do is only, is only asking them to engage a, a, a modicum of their intelligence and of their capabilities. Right. And that's the kind of work that could certainly be pushed out. That's been the case with work throughout that, history. That is true. Now, this, this prediction has been made multiple times in the past that um, work would disappear. But, I mean, we are entering a period of time where it's possible that work might disappear. And interestingly, there are some people, or work as we know it, there are some people who think that would be great. Andrew Yang is there to take advantage of it with a proposal well, yeah, and like I said, I think a thousand bucks a month. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to talk to somebody who uh, actually is is an Iowan uh, who is written on this, and, and I'm hoping you know that we can do that in the future. But you know, we, we understand that when work is taken away, that it has devastating psychological consequences. Sure, yeah, it, there's a huge loss of purpose. There are people, particularly you know, particularly men, have had the most problem with that, and and communities suffer because of that, and. But, so what's to, what's to prevent that from happening? We're seeing that happen all the time. Jobs are always being lost to automation. Well, what's holding it back is, for instance, let's say you go to your local box store, right? Uh, Do you really need cashiers? Yeah, well, I don't. I, whether it's a box store or a locally owned store, which is my preference, mm -hmm. or a bank, I will ne or a credit union, I will never use the automated feature. Why? Because I want to see somebody continue to have a job. Okay. And, and, and that is one motivator why they never can completely replace that position. Because, and, of, and also because, because of people like me. Also, people like to interact with other humans. Sure, that too, for sure. You know, so... I don't want to interact with a box. Yeah, but, but nevertheless, if you go to these stores, you'll see that there's a, certainly a, a plurality of people who do do the... Oh, I'm not sure it's a majority. It's, uh, there, there are, it depends on the store. And right. It depends on the function, but yeah, I mean, when I go to my credit union, very few people opt for the box over the actual human flesh and blood cashier. Yeah, teller. Well, but that cannot necessarily go on forever because we also come from a different generation, and you know the younger people are used to interacting 
with chatbots. Yeah, and, and is that you know, a good thing? Is that a good thing? Does it, it doesn't that, matter. Does it is what is. It is well, what it is. Well, no, it, it is what it is. If, it, if that, that, that saying is my least favorite saying in all of English, uh, the entire English language, because it basically means we've got a big problem and I don't want to talk about fixing it. Well, I don't say it's a big it's, problem. That's what people have been trained to do. I mean, this is this is the world they live in. They Again, the, the phone has... It's the world they choose to live in. We don't have to live in that world. Okay, but let's... I don't know what you've been reading lately, what kind of Luddite like, literature you're reading. We're not going backwards, okay? We're not destroying the smartphones. I was reading the Bible okay. the other day. <laughs> well, that's, that might be the ultimate Luddite track. But nevertheless, <laughs> I, I think, I, I, I understand what you're saying. And yes, there will always be some work, but work is probably going to look different. And that's what we're not ready for. But, but beyond that, just... More and more time being spent with one ha- one's head in one f- one's phone, or walking down the street with earplugs on, you just shut out the world. I mean, I've never seen it this bad before. People used to make eye contact, mm-hmm. greet each other, and now you got folks. And again, I, sorry, folks, especially the younger generation, who just they, they they totally block that out. If you try to break through that and say hello, hi, it's kind of a real uh, real awkward moment, you know. Right. They don't, they so don't how, do that. how are we going to reverse that? Well, that's a really good question. That's a really good question. I don't think that's something you can legislate. Right. But I think it's... I'm pretty uh, sure that's true. Yeah, but it's something you can probably move toward through education, through discussion. And I mean, look, at there are more and more people who are saying, ah, Facebook, don't want to be a part of it. You know, Twitter, not, not for me anymore. So there are people who are actually making those decisions themselves. But Right, but what, there are True Social and 4chan now. What? <laughs> those people are on, on True Social and 4chan. No, not, no, not necessarily. <laughs> anyway, but... Uh, well, we're going right. to talk about it in the future because I think it's, it is a very interesting question. Is there a silver lining in all of this robot talk? Yeah, I do think that, that the robot talk will lead us to discoveries that will actually influence the very thing that you see as an existential threat. I know you think the cell phone, that the smartphone's an existential threat. But, <laughs> no, I didn't say that. <laughs> but clearly climate change is an ex- existential threat. And so, if we're going to so be technologically war. approaching it, yeah. we need All right. to move on. Hey, we've got to take a short break, folks. Uh, thanks, Charles, for joining us today. When I come back, uh, Kathy Burns is going to join us for our farm and food segment. We're going to host our February Garden Q&A back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. You are not a robot, you're lovable, so lovable, but you're just trouble. Guess what? I'm not a robot, a robot. Guess what? I'm not a robot, a robot. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Lipsham is committed to the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark says no matter how you plan or renovate your project, use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. A beautiful project will be revered, maintained, and valued, and is the best investment you can make for a future we all share. Learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures, great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Remember, you can support this alternative to the Shock Jocks by becoming a monthly donor, or if you own a small business or run a nonprofit, become a sponsor of this program. And speaking of sponsors, again, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, Des Moines' locally-owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Gateway also has excellent catering and floral services. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. All right, Kathy Burns is with me. Welcome to the program, Kathy. And it is time, I believe, for our monthly 
garden Q&A session. And this is the month of February. So the first questions are about seed starting to jump right in. Somebody on uh, one of the gardening forums is asking, I want to start seeds this year, but I'm not sure what kind of soil to use. Mm -hmm. So it's a good time for a little uh, what kinds of soil are available 101. Um, People get, like at the store, if they don't know the difference between topsoil, potting soil, seed starter, etc. You just want to be sure if you're starting seeds to use seed starter mix or seed starter seed mix or something like that yeah something light and fluffy vermiculite mm-hmm. perlite mm-hmm. uh sphagnum moss things and things mm-hmm. like that that help make it uh uh you know you, you don't want a, he- a heavy mixture will cause the seed either not to germinate in some cases or, or what's called damping off yes. where the, the, the spread will grow and then the bottom will become Get emaciated choked. and go eh. yeah yeah so yeah the uh that's really important. I, I, we've tried to make our own starting mix before. It's not easy. Well, we have to. <laughs> it's not you easy you at do all. have to invest in all the products. Well, and yeah. and one of our concerns is we we'd like to not buy a bunch of plastic bags of stuff, but yeah. the stuff you mix it with comes in the plastic bags. So we're we're still seeking an answer <laughs> to that. We do though buy what's labeled organic and chemical free and all that right. stuff. Um, we want to make sure that this you know. Uh, we, we have success with our seeds. So. I think there's another question out there about uh, once you've started your seedlings, when do you transplant them into bigger pots? Yes, yeah. And um, it's a good question because um, uh, we can now point out the fact that this is where you use potting soil. It's another <laughs> one of the mystery right. soils that new people growing food uh, encounter. So you just want to wait till after they're done with their true leaves those are the first little leaves a plant will put out seed leaves also seed called leaves, sometimes true yeah. leaves they don't really usually look like the seeds right. or the sorry the leaves that the plant will eventually have but when they have more of their regular leaves yeah. that's a good starting well, point for that one one, uh, one measurement i have is if the if the plants in their six pack cells or whatever small cells you're losing using when they're starting to get really crowded mm-hmm. it's time or right. when the roots start coming out the bottom of the <laughs> cell then it's definitely time Exactly. Yeah. You don't want the roots to get so tangled up together that it would be damaging to the plants to separate them um, and put them in their own pots. Also, it's a good time to mention that as your seeds grow, watch your grow lights uh, Mm. because you want them inch two or three above the soil not much more because then the uh the seedlings wants the seedling wants to stretch out and hit the light and go to the light and it gets a leggy weak stem on it right and put a fan on those seedlings as well to help them get strong someone else mentions that they're a beginning gardener and they're wondering where are the best places to buy seeds uh, <laughs> i know i can buy them at walmart home depot etc but should i buy them online instead or does it matter Go, Kathy, and then I have an opinion. Well, <laughs> we, we really cannot promote, uh, you know, one location, one, you know, chain or non-chain, but we, we can tell you we get our seeds at uh, Seed Savers in Decorah, Iowa. Um, but also, you just don't want to skimp on seeds. You need... Uh, you need uh, something reliable. You can't mm. just have your seeds uh, sprouting up willy-nilly. Yeah, I said, just generally speaking, just you know, support local businesses. Mm-hmm. Chains aren't the place. And online, yeah, well, anytime you buy online, that's a, that's a potential sale that bypasses your local business as well. Mm-hmm. That's my answer. Okay. <laughs> and, and where we get ours is in Iowa. Sure. Uh, it's it's yeah. pretty local. Uh, this is a fun question. What are the best plants for beginners? So I always <laughs> love that because that means people are starting the process of learning to grow food in their yard. So I love it. Um, This person goes on to say, I've done some gardening before, but I'll be wrangling a toddler (laughs) and new baby this season. (laughs) So lower maintenance plants would be ideal. Ed, what's your suggestion? My answer is, uh, what do you like to eat? Mm -hmm. Always start with that. What do you like to eat? A. B. What is easy to grow? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, lettuce is always a good entry point but um, you know green beans uh, they don't always work for everybody you can get a problem with um, with rust or with uh, bean beetles but green beans are pretty good um, I mean I find potatoes are generally pretty easy to grow I mean I really emphasize that first uh, condition what 
you know, what do you like to eat? What do those kids like to eat? Right. It's more motivating for everybody if what you are planting is something that you will all enjoy and want to plant it again. Um, I had green beans on my list too. My first thought is, in addition to green beans, which, frankly, the toddler is going to love combing through and finding little beans <laughs> to pull and eat just raw off the vine. We yes. grow a bush variety. And speaking from experience. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> even all our, all our grandkids have picked beans off the vine. And we grow the bush variety or a bush variety, because and not because the kids can reach it, but they coincidentally they can. Uh, I would recommend, um, if you like to cook in your kitchen, obviously there's a, there's a group of foods that cooks call the holy trinity of uh, the kitchen. So peppers, onions, and celery. They're all fairly low energy peppers might require a little more vigilance but they're pretty easy to freeze too and that's helpful they basically you just you just chop and freeze them and you can pull them out they're already chopped for you in the winter you can use them in soups and stews and so many other foods one last question Uh, somebody asked uh, about uh, best time to start broccoli cauliflower cabbage Mm -hmm. Uh, they said they've heard that they could start anywhere from now to mid-march yeah well Go, I, well, I, we're in Iowa, and this is early February, and we are we just planted flowers. <laughs> right. So now's good. And it, it depends on where you live and all that. Mm-hmm. But my, I, I, I'm of the opinion you should always plant first, early, because then you have, if you have a failure, mm-hmm. you can always come back and plant again. There's nothing wrong with having sturdy, well-established plants. Yeah. Kathy, thanks for joining us, you and bet. thanks, folks, to our production team of Sherry Hardina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks also to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, and Dr. David Drake, Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility, Bold Iowa, and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And thanks to the Des Moines Irish Session for our bumper music. Thanks again, folks. We'll be back next week with another hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio.